Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 23 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you're tuning in from. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, huge week ahead on the show. We're going to start with two-time Olympian, 10-time Aussie surf champion, and four-time Ironman, Kai Hurst. Had the pleasure of going through Kai's incredible career with him a few weeks ago, and we discussed everything from our kids, getting into swimming, surf life-saving, his Olympic experiences, as well as getting into sailing, training with the Miami Super Squad, and a whole lot more. So start your Monday off right. Let's grab a coffee or a hot chocolate. Clear your schedule, because Ep 23 with Kai Hurst starts now. Away they go. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noot's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Vets in the black hats, and Vets is Smollett. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe. Joining me today on the show is a two-time Olympian from Beijing and London. He's a four-time Australian Ironman champion and a 10-time Australian surf life-saving champion. Thought of as one of the greatest surf swimmers in Australian history. He is no wonder he is in the Australian Surf Life-Saving Hall of Fame. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Kai Hurst. Mate, how are you going? Robbie, well, thanks for having me. Mate, I, it's a pleasure to have you on. I know we teed this up a while ago and then you, you got on the move. You've been on the move for a bit. What's life like back up on the Gold Coast? Oh, definitely um, settling back in quite nicely. Yeah, we, I remember when you first messaged me and, um, oh, mate, life was pretty tough there. And I think it was for everyone. It was, uh, was when that whole corona thing came out. It's like, yeah. Oh, man, I'll just sit, you sit there cursing. <laughs> Yeah. One bloke that just ate a bat. Like that. <laughs> look where we are. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. One bloke. One bloke. It's that simple. And um, anyway, from that bat, you know, this all has turned out. And uh, I was, yeah, I was, you know, nestled nicely and on the northern beaches with the family. Uh, son was going to Avalon School. Was living at Whaley, and uh, yeah, ended up ended up having to put down my dog. Uh, who turned 16 like two weeks later and then that was tragic. Um, yeah. Then I lost my part-time work in Sydney that I was working for a private developer down there. Um, and then the sale GP stuff got axed for the rest of the year. Um, and then the house I was renting, um, the bloke was got into some financial trouble and was like, I've got to sell the house. And so I was like, well, what do I do? <laughs> you know, and this yeah. is right when you messaged me. I was like, oh, yeah. mate, it's not, not really the time. <laughs> like, can we just give yeah. it a little bit of time? So, yeah, several months later, here we are. And Yeah, mate, I'm back in Queensland and thank God for that. I just feel so, so sad for the people down in Vico. Um, they're bloody tough, hey. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really some tough times at the moment. But, uh, you know, to, to get the positive out of all of this, you just got to look at the, the, your loved ones around you, um, you know, look at your health and, and how lucky we are. And uh, I guess, you know, thank Mother Nature that we, we live in such a beautiful place. 
Absolutely. And I guess you can thank Anastasia Palaszczuk as well, because she's just blocked the borders. She's blocked yeah. everyone out. She said you can't get in here. Even if you're a Queenslander, you can't yeah. drive through the New South Wales border. You've got to go around and come through uh, NT. Yeah. What, what have you been up to since you've been back up there? Just living the dream and loving the life back up in, in the sunshine? Yeah, just unpacking boxes. Um, <laughs> it's been about five weeks since I've been back at home. Um, and then just slowly rebuilding again with training which has been really nice, um, a lot warmer. So, you know, five o'clock on the water has been pretty good paddling and uh, um, getting back in the pool every now and then, which has been really nice uh, just to get a bit of feel back and uh, a little bit of running. And, and so I'm mixing things up at the moment. You know, it's uh, with the sale GP stuff, it's been um, cancelled until April, they think until next year, um, which is our first race of the new season. Um, so yeah, for, for me now, it's just a matter of staying in touch with my fitness and rebuilding and, and creating some really nice blocks. And, you know, I think a big thing too, in, in this, in this time is, is trying to stay motivated, which is really difficult. And, mm. and for me personally, I need goals and I need direction. I need stability and structure, I think in my life. And, and so I've picked a couple of events sort of later on in the year that I'm sort of working towards now. And uh, whether they happen or not, I'm, I'm not sure, um, you know, fingers crossed. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm training, which is, which is nice. And, uh, and trying to do the dad thing and the partner thing and trying to, uh, as you're aware, balance. Mm. Life is about balance. Mate, balance. I'm still looking for that bloody answer to it. Every time I get people on, I've had Gian, I've had Grant, I've had all these people. I say, I'm, I'm still, I'm always searching. I say, listen, help me find the balance. Where is it? And they, they all say that if you find it, let me know. So yeah. we're all on yeah. that quest together. Absolutely. Now, mate, I want to get into it because phenomenal career you've had and, and you continue to have, um, you know, um, in competing and sailing and stuff like that. And uh, it's so much to unpack because... I always knew you'd done a lot. Don't get me wrong. And as I said to you before, I followed you for a while. Obviously, I was a swimmer, so I saw you in the pool. I saw you in open water. I saw you on the Nutri-Grain boxes. But it wasn't until I started doing my research. It's like, God damn, you, you, you achieved quite a lot in your career. So let's get stuck into it. How did it all start for you? When did you start getting in the water? Um, well, mum was a swim teacher. Um, family were all surfers and came from surf life saving. Um, I started surfing when I was two. Mum just pretty much threw me straight in the ocean. Um, so I learned pretty quick. Uh, I joined board riders at seven years old. I did that for a few years. Um, and then came into the nipper movement at nine and, and swimming. Um, you know, one of my first coaches on the Central Coast, New South Wales, was a guy called Les Lazarus. And I remember, you know, he used to sit there with a cane stick and he used to whack the kids on the head if they weren't doing the right stroke corrections or if they missed the time on the cycle or, you know and I was just just this little nipper and it was just epic and uh and that's kind of how it, it it sort of rolled on from there um joined the local surf club and yeah one one thing led to another I, I didn't go the surfing direction I kind of went the surf life saving and swimming direction and um you know I'm, I'm really grateful for that what sort of a younger swimmer were you when you were in the squads? Were you loud? Were you at the back? Were you at the front? Were you the one that was always on people's heels? What sort of a kid were you? Um, I, I was kind of the kid that I, I remember 
one of I can't believe I remember this, but one of my first ever sessions with Les Lazarus, um, you know, I remember he, he got us all at the end of the wall, you know, the clock that goes around, the red and black arrows, and he was like, can anyone read this clock, you know, and, and give me a 55 time cycle? Um, I was like, yeah, me, not even thinking about it. I've never <laughs> seen the clock in my life. Yeah. And, um, mate, so I think, I'm pretty sure I got hit with a stick because I had no idea what I was talking about. I couldn't read the clock at all. <laughs> um, but I was the kid that kind of just got in and just did it. Um, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure, I, you know, I, I learned pre, pretty young that, you know, the kids that didn't shut up, the kids that cut corners, you know, I, See, it doesn't work out for you. Mm. It's a little bit different now because you don't get hit with a cane stick. But um, you know, I just I, I think I was pretty well disciplined, and uh, you know, mum mum kept me in line, which was quite nice, and I'm I'm pretty grateful for that as well. Did you play any other sports growing up? Obviously, we know surf lifesaving, but did you get into footy? Did you play anything else? Um, a little bit of soccer, um, and and that was a bit. That was about it. Basketball. Um, yeah, I, I did most sports, but uh, from about 10, 11 years old, um, you know, swimming kind of and surf life saving kind of just ruled my life. And, uh, you know, nippers on a Sunday, club champs, swim, swimming championships on, every, you know, pretty much every Friday night. Um, you know, I learned from a pretty, pretty early age that, uh, you know, this is what kind of what I wanted to do. At, you know, 10, 11, 12, I used to sit on Sunday afternoon, sit down and watch the Uncle Toby Super Series um, back in the day and, and watch those guys run around. I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. I'm going to do that one day. And, um, yeah, and uh, that that was kind of kind of it, mate. Water sports for me was, was my life. You know, I grew up surfing. Mum surfs, my brother surfs, my whole family surfs. My uncle was a world champion longboarder. Um, back in 1982, I think it was, um, my uncle was a surf lifesaver um, that won, I think, four or five Australian championships in the boats that he swept for North Bondi. Um, so it was kind of, you know, the salt water was always in my veins. Mate, heroes growing up. Obviously, you mentioned they're sitting watching the TV on the weekend. Who did you look up to? Um, you know, in the, in the early stages, guys, I guess, like Trevor Hendy, um, you know, Kelly Slater was, was a great role model, I thought, as well. And, you know, you look at his career and how long uh, of a period that has been and he just became so dominant over the years and, and kept sort of moulding himself um, to shape what, you know, surfing was developing at the time and, you know, with the whole aerial phase that, you know, came in and, and where it's at right now, it was just phenomenal. And for him to be able to go from... You know, into that was quite remarkable. Um, you know, they're definitely the two guys. Uh, as I got a little bit older, um, you know, I started idolising the guys that I trained with, and I still do now. Um, the guys that I race and the guys that I train with, you know, they're, they're the guys that I really look up to. Um, I remember, you know, right, you know, I used oh, I was great mates with Hacky growing up, and we used to race each other in age group, and you'd always get me in the four hundred free and the and the 1500 and the 200 backstroke at, at nationals. And um, I just, you know, we created such a great friendship from a really young age. And uh, I remember moving back to Queensland because I was originally a Queensland boy. Mm -hmm. um, so we moved to the Gold Coast for training at about 15, 16 years old. And, you know, I went straight into Dennis Cottrell's squad. And, um, you know, just seeing the dynamics of, of that squad and, and sort of fitting in there. 
Um, you know, those are the guys that I admire. Guys like, you know, John Rooney, uh, girls and girls, you know, girls like John Rooney and uh, we had Michael Clem swim there for a little while, Daniel Koyarski, you know, Hacky. Um, these are the guys that I admired because I saw how they trained. I saw how they were disciplined. And, uh, you know, their work ethic was unmatched. It's funny you say uh, Kelly Slater, that Rashi behind me is actually a Kelly Slater signed Rashi. Oh, I um, see it, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty small. I don't think it's specifically his. I think someone just chucked it in front of him and he signed it. And I have no surfing qualities myself. I just was at an auction one day and anytime I'm at an auction, I love to, you know, give oh, some money and get stuff. And I thought, well, that's yeah. a great spot for the bar. So Epic. I like uh, it. Yeah, mate, but I, I agree with you. He, he is a legend anyway, even if you don't, um, you know, get out and surf because I'm very uncoordinated and probably couldn't even stand up if I tried. But I can appreciate someone who's been a legend and at the top of his game for as long as he is, absolutely. I, I, think, it's, I think it's important, you know, especially younger guys to have role models. Mm. And, uh, you know, I used to sit there and watch the Uncle Toby Super Series and I'd watch the guys race and I'm like, okay, this is what they're doing right. And I'd sort of break it down. This is what they're doing right. This is where it went wrong. You know, what are they doing? You know, where are their weaknesses? You know, is it the transitions or is it a particular leg? You know, and, and then when I ended up coming into the Uncle Toby's, I kind of knew the dynamics of how the guys raced and where they were weaker and where they were stronger and kind of played on that. And it, it was just always fascinating. And the thing is, is it's to have those role models, I think is important as a kid growing up because yeah. it's, it's something to aspire to and, and to follow and and it's not just how i guess they represent themselves as an athlete but it's how they represent themselves off the field as well and and that was something i always admired you know with the guys that that i looked up to because you know they're, they're, they're my heroes and uh you know it was one of those things where yeah they performed i knew they trained hard but they're professional too you know they took their time out to sign kids autographs and be nice and stand for photos and chat to people and you know they'll they'll humble like the guys that i admired and the girls that i admire you know they're all really humble and down to earth and they just uh they just do their job at, at the best of their abilities and uh you know i, I admire that mate did you struggle with anything through say your teenage years i know a lot of um you know younger swimmers around you know 15 16 always look at maybe giving it away due to maybe school or maybe they've got pressure to hang out with their mates, chase girls, whatever it might be there, chase boys. Um, yeah. Everyone's got something different. Did you go through sort of any struggles or were you really sort of laser focused through those years? Um, no, it's, you know, like I said, life's about a balance and it's trying to find that balance. Um, I really felt that the late nights hurt me. Um, so I kept them to a pretty bare minimum. Um, yeah, I chase girls, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know that, that happened from a pretty early age. Um, that's pretty normal. But, uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty disciplined. I think it was about surrounding yourself with the right people too, your mates, and, and them understanding, like, the direction and your goals. And, and I think I was really lucky with that because I had a lot of mates that, you know, weren't super sporty you know, growing up through school, um, you know, they'd, they'd smoke a bit of pot and, and I never touched it. So, yeah. but they understood that, you know, that, that wasn't me. But, you know, I was happy to hang out with them on a weekend and go surfing or, you know, do, do bits and pieces here and there. And, and then I had my other circle of mates that were, all, were disciplined yeah. and um, that, that I trained with. And so it was about trying to 
um, circle yourself with the right people and, and trying to absorb their energy because I guess when you're, when you're an athlete and, and especially a young one, um, you know, you, you train pretty hard and, mate, it's fatiguing, it's tiring and not just physically but mentally as well. And then you've got all these external pressures, you know, as a kid, um, especially in this day and age, like social media, girls or boys, um, you know, chasing them. You know, you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you think, they're, you know, they're your life partner. I'm going to be with these guys forever and ever and ever. And, and you know, it doesn't happen. <laughs> you break up and then you find yeah. someone else and you're yeah. like, oh, my God, they're my forever partner. <laughs> And then yeah. you break up and, you, you know, and, and it's just trying to deal with that. And, and yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's, you know, life's not easy. No. We, we know, we know that. And it's about, um, you know, I, I guess it's all character building too. Um, but I think what got me through that was sport and it was discipline and it was setting the goals and it was having the role models and, and just having the right direction. And I think uh, another area for that is, is, you know, your coaches as well, because coaches as well are mentors. And they're the people that really, when you're growing up, not just coach you, but they almost, you know, it's almost your therapy as well yeah. in some regards, because you go to the pool and you train hard and you're like, oh, you know, you're a little bit down or you're a little bit angry. So you get in there and you smash out a set just to burn that excess energy um, or you talk about it, uh, which is always a good thing. And, and this is where coaches are really important because not only do you train hard with them, but there's someone that you can communicate with and talk to. And uh, I think that that's always an important part as well. Mate, I loved that. A few takeaways there for anyone listening. Number one, surround yourself with the right people. That's a life uh, lesson there, people. That's not just a swimming lesson. That is a life lesson. And the second one was, uh, yeah, just being back, being a teenager, thinking that girlfriend at 15, 16 was going to be the one. Yeah. Wow. Those were the days. Um, mate, a lot to unpack with your career. Um, and as I said, you know, successful at so many different levels and in, in different sports. And we'll get to swimming at a certain point, but I want to get stuck into surf lifesaving for a bit. How did that start for you? We sort of touched on it before, but what did you enjoy most about it? I think it was just, um, well, one, it was in the ocean. I love the ocean. Um, two, I picked up paddling pretty quick because I'd surfed my whole life. Um, three, reading the ocean had, had always been, you know, a thing of mine anyway. And um, when I started doing nippers, I, I seemed to have done pretty well and it just kept snowballing from there. Um, and then, you know, Sunday nippers for me and, and training through the week, you know, with the squads were just so awesome. I just loved being around, the, you know, the guys, the kids, guys, boys and girls, and, you know, when I was so young and, you know, we just had a blast. Um, you know, training and, and, and going out and catching waves and just, you know, feeling the ocean out and learning all the different ways that it moves and bends and shapes and breaks. And, um, you know, I just, it, it's so diverse um, with, with the ocean and, uh, you know, one day can be absolutely beautiful and, you know, flat and calm and no wind and then the next you have something completely different, whatever Mother Nature kind of throws at you. And I just, I've always loved that. And that's what I think, what, that's what drew me into surf life saving, um, you know, initially. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty grateful. I, you know, my, my seven-year-old does nippers and, um, you know, he loves it. And I'm teaching him bits and pieces of the ocean and, 
and how it shifts and moves yeah. and what to be careful of because, you know, Mother Nature can be pretty harsh at times as well. You know, your life's kind of in their hands, but you got to know your limitations as a human, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. Um, because unfortunately we don't have gills as much as I'd love some gills. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't breathe under the water. So, um, you know, in saying that, you know, I take my boy down surfing and he surfs and, uh, you know, he's loving the water. I have him swimming here at, at Miami at the Rackley squad. And, yep. you know, he's you know, only once a week. I just don't, I don't want to push him, but I want him to be familiar in the water and mm. comfortable and confident. And that gives me confidence at the end of the day that my kids are confident in, in the water and they know their limitations. And um, I think that that's really important for parents. Um, but I think it's important for every kid to know as well. Mate, you're not wrong in terms of the unpredictable nature of, of the of the ocean in terms of your watch. Just Bondo Rescue. I know it's a, it's a show that's entertaining and it is a bit of fun at times, but... Mate, you see sometimes what people think is nice and calm and they're just standing there and in two seconds off they go and they're out and then the boys have got to get on the paddles and, and out they get. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't doesn't take a lot. So no. you've got to be on your, on your toes the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mate, 10 Aussie titles, as I said, you're clearly driven. Where did that competitive nature come from? Because you seem pretty chilled and relaxed in this chat. Like I'm getting the vibes, you're pretty relaxed. Where did that, obviously, though, you know, when it was time to go, you were competitive. Where did that come from? Um, mate, I've always, you know, I've always wanted to work hard. You know, when I train, I train properly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, mum kind of grew up, you know, brought up my, my brother and I on her own. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, like maybe my mum's work ethic as well. So she, she was an athlete and. You know, she did open water swims and won Australian open water titles in her age group. And um, she, she, did, she was kind of a cross-country runner growing up as well. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think it was just embedded in me, I, I guess. Mm. Um, who, who doesn't like to win? <laughs> yeah. no, and it's not what yeah. it's all about, I understand. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I kind of... Like I said before, it was you know I've always kind of had goals. I kind of wrote them down, whether they're short term or long term goals, and and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I, you know, I, I knew from a young age that I wanted to be an athlete, um, and that. You know, but I've had my hard times too. I've had times where I'm like, I'm completely done. You know, after you know, I'll give you one example. After 2008 Olympics, um, I was done. I was completely cooked, and. Um, yeah, it was just, I, mate, it took me, I reckon, six months before I got back in the pool again and just yeah. just swam. Um, yeah. So, we, you know, yeah, you have those times and, mm. and I'm glad I got back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and when, every time I stop and I take a few weeks off, everything just goes soft and yeah. I get lazy and I get moody and I just feel unhealthy and... I don't know. I always find my way back. Mm. You always seem to find your way back to sport in some way. And, uh, and it keeps just sucking me back in. And uh, I, think, I think I'll have it for the rest of my life, given that I can maintain this health. And then, we, mate, we got kids now. And yeah. I've got a seven-year-old that's starting to swim okay. And he's starting to run pretty quick. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, shit, i got to keep <laughs> up with him. And so, you know, for me, you know, I want to stay active. Like, you know, I, I get, get in the backyard and I have a hit of tennis with him. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly chasing my daughter around because she's just, just so crazy. She's so crazy. And so they're just balls of energy. And, you know, it, it, that alone is tiring. Um, you know, I'm not a full-time dad, as in stay-at-home dad, but, you know, my partner's a you know, stay-at-home mom, and I just don't know how some of these parents do it. It's just remarkable. You know, I thought, you know, training was hard. <laughs> Looking after kids is way harder. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a full-time job within itself. And, and so my role is just to support where I can and, you know, Try and, try and always give good energy and, you know, help, help where I can. Um, that's, that's the main thing. And, and one of those things is trying to stay fit and active, I guess, and, uh, and stay somewhat a, a role model for my son and my daughter. Mate, I'm with you. This uh, whole COVID thing, especially when we had to stay home um, for you know a period of time, I left that thinking, geez, I have a lot of respect for those stay-at-home parents because you know obviously I'm a full-time head coach, so early yeah. mornings, late nights, um, you know, you're home when you're home, but outside of that, you know, you you do get that sort of mental break from from everything, but. There's a lot going on. You've got kids screaming and things to be washed and things to be cleaned. And I had to yeah. do my part in that as well while I was home. Yeah. And I just end up thinking, geez, I do, as you said, have a lot of respect for, for people who, who have to go through that on the daily. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. May aside from, uh, you know, the clear determination and hard work, what made you so good at surf lifesaving, do you think? And I'm interested because obviously I'm more of a swimming coach. I'm not, you know, that great out in the ocean, although I can go out and swim for a bit. But obviously you talking about what you get, you know, you're teaching your son, all that sort of stuff is probably beyond me. Do you think that's what set you apart at times was your way, your ability to read the ocean and understand where things were going to break for you and all that sort of stuff? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I learned that at a very young age. And I think um, just my swimming fitness too. Um, You know, I always used to do well at cross country and and I wasn't, you know, I I didn't specifically run. So, and I think a lot of that just stemmed from my fitness as a swimmer. I don't think there's, you know, I I get, and I'm going to absolutely get, you know, tortured for this probably for the non-swimmers out there, but I don't think there's a, a discipline that is as hard as swimming in, yeah. in sort of my mind. Um, you know, you can't breathe in water. Um, man, it's a, it's a tough bloody sport. Mm. It's a tough sport. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, swimmers at the end of the day, especially, you know, the, the ones that are middle distance and up, they put in a lot of time in the water and a lot of Ks and, um, you know, you, you become a drowned rat <laughs> at the end of every week. But we yeah. just do it week in and week out. And, uh, and that's what we love about it. It's, it's an amazing, incredible sport. But, you know, you got to be, you got to have that, that mental side as well. You know, swimming up and down a black line for four or five hours a day, um, you know, for, for a good majority of your life, you know, it, um, it certainly can take a toll. Mate, what are your greatest achievements in surf lifesaving? I mean, as I said, far be it for me to go through your career and pick out what, what are the best. You were there. What were your, your sort of things that stand out in your mind? Um, oh, look, there, there's a few. And, um, 
you know, surf life saving, you know, win, winning an Uncle Toby series, winning a Nutrigrain series, winning the Australian Championships, Ironman, series, oh, Ironman races were, were great. The surf races, winning my 10th was pretty, pretty cool as well. Uh, I got to 10 pretty quick. Life goes so fast, doesn't it? It's yeah. so crazy. And um, uh, one that stands out, I don't think there's one in particular. Um, there's not, not many times where I kind of look back and go, oh, wow, you know, yeah. I did so well there. It was yeah. amazing. <laughs> so I kind of like, I like to look forward. I don't really delve too much in, into my past. Mm. Um, uh, I don't know. And then the sale GP, the America's Cup stuff. I, I think the biggest one for me were, were the Olympics. Yeah. Um, qualifying, that is, because both Olympics for me were absolutely disastrous and you know i went to a second olympics because i was like there's no way i could finish worse than 11th in olympic games after my first games i ended up with depression i was just shocking and then the second olympics was even worse again yeah, i was yeah. like oh my god i'm done <laughs> yeah. but um i think yeah qualifying you know in, in asia on the second one and and um in spain for the first one i think the first one was really cool because i had grant was there grant hackett yeah, and both of us went to qualify at the world championships, and um, you know, I, I, somehow Grant didn't qualify, but you know, for me to qualify for an Olympics was just absolutely. And I had the family there. Um, see, my first Olympic trials was in '96. Now, I don't know whether too many people know I made the final in the 1500, but I had Daniel Kowalski, Glenn Houseman, Kieran Perkins, Grant Hackett. Like I had all these names. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you're going, to, you're going to pick a sport, swimming's hard enough, but you're going to pick a distance, the 1500 in Australia back in the 90s, stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had the fastest swimmers in the world. Um, and so, yeah, 96 Olympics, I think I finished seventh or eighth, um, you know, as a tacker. Uh, 2000 Olympic trials came around, I finished, I think, sixth in the 1500. 2004, oh, I think it was fifth. 2004 Olympic trials came around. I was like, oh, I'm swimming pretty well here. Um, obviously made the 400 final, but the 1500 final, I was like, oh, you know, I, I thought I could go under 15 minutes or around that 15 minute mark because uh, the way that I was sort of training kind of felt like that with my repeat times and, you know, with all the heart rate sets. Um, but, you know, hacky Craig Stevens, tough, you yeah. know. You are the two fastest guys in the world at that stage. So, um, you know, the, so to finish third was pretty awesome. Um, but it was the same year they announced that 08 would have an Olympic Games, for, um, you know, for open water at the mm. Olympics. And so I was like, mate, this, no, this is no brain and there's no walls. Yeah. Um, you know, it was right up my alley, open water. You know, we can sort of throw it, throw ourselves around a little bit. Um, and so that's what I started to target. And I was kind of juggling the Ironman stuff as well. And it was really funny leading into 08 Australian trials because we had to qualify through Australian trials, top two, and then world championships, top 10 to make an Olympics. And um, I remember leading in, I was swimming well. And then, you know, Craig Stevens has put his hand up going, oh, it'd be fantastic to do the 10K and the 1500 Olympics. <laughs> like, no, no, wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> and then Grant Hackett goes, oh, my God, I'm going to put my hand up too. It would be amazing to do the 1500, the 400, the 4x2 and the, and the 10K at Olympics. I'm like, no. 
<laughs> no, just stick to the pool, guys. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh, anyway, so I think something happened to Steve-O. Um, but I was training with Tracy Menzies at the time leading into that. And, um, and so Craig didn't do the 10K trials, but Hacky did. And so, you know, we qualified one, two. Um, gosh, I was nervous going into those. <laughs> and then the World Championships, um, you know, top 10. It was uh, either two in the top 10 or, you know, um, yeah, or one in the top 10. And so, um, yeah, I was sort of lucky enough to qualify through uh, those World Championships. And, and uh, yeah, but, yeah, it was... Uh, Pretty awesome. But yeah, going back to your question, sorry, I'll get... Sorry, no, Craig. no, you're all right. It's good. Um, I like it anyway, mate, because by the time you get to where you're finishing, you're leading me into like three or four separate questions that I don't even have lined up. So I don't mind it. It's good. Just pull me up. I, I tend to <laughs> ramble. <laughs> mate, talk to me about, we've talked about 2008, obviously, and you mentioned they're making it. Firstly, before we get to the, the results, which obviously, you know, in your own words, you were quite disappointed with. What was the experience like over there, though, when you got over there, say, before the race, around the race? What was it like? Oh, professional. It was amazing. Um, you know, opening ceremony in Olympic Games um, in China. We, we walked out, I think, just before China did. Um, and I just remember the roar. It was just, it, it was insane. The whole place just shook. And um, it was just so cool to be surrounded by so much positive energy and so many athletes from all different walks of life. And, and what was cool was walking through the village. I think one of the most memorable times for me was walking through the village and seeing, you know, little sumo wrestlers that, you know, were the best in the world and they're yeah. five foot tall and five foot wide. And, and then you go past the basketballers and they're massive and the girl volleyballers and they're massive and just all the different shapes and sizes. And, I guess to see what it takes for that individual sport and how, how it differs um, mm. was just so cool. And, and then, you know, eating and uh, always being in the food court, um, you know, and just, just seeing, you know, the different walks of life was, uh, it was epic. It was a really cool experience. Yeah. Well, you said, you know, <clears throat> obviously, sorry, you finished 11th at those Olympics and, and you weren't overly, you know, happy with, with the way it ended up. What were you going in there in, with in mind? Obviously, um, you know, people always want to go in to do their best. Did you have a specific goal in mind going into it? Oh, I, I, I knew I could medal. Yeah. I definitely was swimming. I was swimming exceptionally well. And, you know, I finished fifth of the Worlds to qualify. And, um, like, we, we pretty much all finished together. And, and so I was like, well, I was right there. You know, it's just a matter of, ju you know, jostling, jostling and, and trying to find, oh, Hey, you're right. <laughs> That's far away. He might call back again because I, I, I answered and hung up on him. But I think, um, no, I, I went there with a the goal. You know, I, I knew I could do well and swim well. And I think that's, that was part of why I was so depressed after. I was mm. so disappointed in the, the way, more in the way that I kind of finished the race. I think, you know, I was sitting up the front of the pack and, I thought I was experienced enough and, and smart enough to race this event. And uh, I, went, went, I went too early, pretty much. Um, I think it, just after the last feed, within the 2.5K mark, I think I must have gone at about 2Ks and thought I could really start to turn it on and hurt some people. Um, but that just wasn't the case. Um, I, I ended up 
with about 500 meters to go, I think I just, I hit a wall so hard. Uh, the, it was just ridiculous. And so, yeah, I ended up fall, falling behind and yeah, and that was kind of, kind of it. But, um, yeah, that, but that's open water swimming for you, you know, and it's a lot, whether I can describe it, it's a lot like cycling. Um, you know, it's placement. Um, it's sitting there. It's conserving your energy. Um, not trying to lead too much if you can. Trying to use other people's speed. Um, and because it's just become so fast, the 10K. Um, and it swam so differently to the women's race. You know, we we negative split at such a pace. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, generally the first 5K when I was swimming, we'd swim sort of the first, you know, the same pace as the women, maybe a little bit quicker. And then the second half, you'd put 10 minutes into them. So, um, you know, certainly we swam differently, but um, some quick guys, you know, you know, guys like Usmaluli who won the 1500 and the 10K, you know, eight. Uh, um, no, sorry, that was 2012. Um, but in, you know, in 08, David Davies and, you know, guys like that, that that had the speed in the pool and it transferred to them in the open water. So that's that was kind of what you were contending with. Mate, we've mentioned that after Beijing you were cooked, your words, not mine, mentally. How do you, you know, what was going through your head at that time? Was it all over? What was over about it? Was it the work? Was it the effort that you're having to put in to, you know, maybe not get the rewards you're after? Like, wh- where was that mentality coming from for you? I think it was just swimming. Anything to do with swimming, I was just done. I put so much effort into sort of lead up and then kind of to get that result, I kind of didn't have that in my head. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that was just me personally, you know. That, you know, I, I had an expectation and I felt like I just let myself down, no one else. Um, and that's kind of where I was at with it. And um, so, yeah, I, I went I was like, I back, back into paddling and running and, and that, but I hardly swam mm. after that. Um, not until, you know, London where I started to swim again. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was just tough. I don't, I don't know why I got into such a hole. I think it was just a, a you know, battling those demons in my head and, and realizing that, you know, I've represented Australia at an Olympic games. Um, it was a, it was a tough process to qualify in the first place. You know, for goodness sake, the best distance swimmer in the world didn't even qualify for the 10K. And I still regard him as the best distance swimmer we've ever seen on this planet. Absolutely. Um, Regardless of what distance it is. Um, You know, I remember breaking, um, Grant breaking his first world record in the 200 freestyle. I was in the, we were in the four by two at Chandler. Yeah. And uh, I went off second. Um, I remember standing there going, and oh, he, yeah, he went off first. And he broke the world record in the 200 freestyle in the relay. And we're just like, you kidding me? That was just remarkable. Yeah. And we just did that in the relay. I think we broke the strain record too in the 4 by 2 But um, as you would with someone like that swimming at that pace. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, right there with you, I think he's the greatest of all time. Talk to me about some of the coaches and mentors you, you've had. Um, first of all, we'll talk about Dennis. What impact did he have on your career and what was training like at Miami? You've already mentioned there with the stars around you. That must have been a bit of a buzz. Yeah, no, it was good. You know, we're, we're there to all do a job and, you know, we're all mates too. And and Dennis is, has always been a, a good mate of mine. Um, you know, when we're in the pool, he, he's got two sides to him, old Dennis Cottrell. <laughs> you know, he's just the, 
the young at heart surfer that just wants to go surfing every day and, and live in the ocean. And then you've got Dennis Cottrell, the coach, and he's a master. He's, he's uh, like the, what the little Jedi, you know, he's, uh, he's yeah, he, he's amazing. He's an amazing human and knows his stuff. So, um, oh gosh, it was just remarkable. I, um, you know, to be under Dennis and, and his guidance, um, you know, it was really, it was really cool. Um, I've had, I've had so many coaches. <laughs> and, you know, I started out with Les Lazarus. I went to Gary Toner, uh, who was a distance coach. I went to, um, and then Neil Ryan, who was New South Wales, I think head coach at the time, or what well became that. Um, Bruce Forbes, who coaches a girls college now, I think I had quite, for quite a long time. Um, I had, uh, and then moved on from there. And then we came to Queensland. Um, I had a, a lady called Donna Proctor, who was a swimmer also, who was amazing. I think she might be in Newcastle coaching. Yep. Um, went to Dennis for quite a long time. And then I felt like I needed a change. Um, and then that's when I moved to Sydney for a couple of years leading into 08 with, um, Tracy Menzies and, and training with Craig Stevens. And that was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, basically when that all folded after Olympics, moved back to Queensland again and uh, and started training with Cole Braun. And um, I, I jumped, I think I jumped back in with Dennis for a little bit and it was just the dynamics of it and it was kind of, I just felt like I needed something different mentally mm. for me at the time and that's when I went to Cole and, you know, trained with Cole leading into 2012. So it was... Okay. Um, Mm. Yeah, talk to me about Cole, Cole Braun. What impact did he have? Obviously, he came back, but you enjoyed working with him because you, you stuck with it there. How was he like as a coach for you? Yeah, no, look, he, he was really good. And uh, I think it worked and, and our dynamics worked. You know, we we're very similar in characters too. And, uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together, <laughs> which, you know, I guess you do leading into the new games. And, uh, you know, it was fantastic. We had a good little squad there. You know, you know, Yasu, Japanese swimmer, used to come out and swim a little bit. And we, we had George O'Brien. We, we had some really good guys um, that would come and train. And, um, yeah, I think those dynamics, you know, were really good leading into 2012. So, yeah, I know I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've been so grateful to have amazing coaches, you know. Um, I've been really lucky, um, really, really lucky through my career to have guys and, and women like that, that are, you know, great role models and, and uh, always giving great energy and, and know their stuff when it comes to coaching. Mate, what's some of the tougher sets? Do you, is there any sets that you remember that you, uh, being a distance swimmer, you would have been smashed with kilometres at times? <laughs> Were there any sets that you look back on and you sort of uh, scratch your head how you got through it? Not only got through it, because I would have imagined you would have smashed it as well. Yeah, no, the, um. Oh, yeah, there were some sets that were pretty crazy. Um, uh, I think we did, there were 10, 10 400s was, you know, all, always our bread and butter through the week. So sort of three on 430, two on 420, twice through. Um, we did a set once where we did 10 fours. I remember Daniel Kowalski completing it. Um, it was one on 430, one on 425, 420, 415, 410 twice. Um, that was pretty tough. <laughs> uh, another set, I think it was three, three sets of 800 on nine minutes and then eight ones on 110. Yep. Um, that was always a good one. It's just trying to hit pace, um, you know, always trying to hit sort of your 1500 pace and, and trying to get gradually quicker. 
as the set sort of rolled on. Um, nothing too massive, I think. Um, I, I'm sure there are others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they were kind of a couple of, couple of them anyway. Mate, as soon as a few of the coaching mates knew I was talking to you, they straight away text me saying, you've got to ask for his kick PBs. You've uh-huh. got to ask what his kick PBs are. So, mate, and I have been told by uh, by Gian and Grant that you you know when it came to kick, you you were certainly at the front. What what are your kick PBs out of interest for say a fifty or a hundred? What could you do? I can't sprint, so I think my fifty was twenty nine eight. It wasn't great. Yeah. Um, push and the hundred was one oh seven, which wasn't great either. Um, and then. I think my my 200 was 228, and that was touch wall, not tumble turn. Yeah. Uh, and my 400, this is an interesting one because my 400, I remember doing one with um, Ian Thorpe and um, Michael Phelps, and I, I'm so stoked. I got <laughs> Phelpsy. I'm pretty sure Phelpsy went 515. I went 513, but Thorpey went 508. I think wow. he might have gone. Yeah. Yeah. So it was moving. Absolutely moving. So, but, you know, I would do, I used to do kick all the time, you know, if it was 24 100s, it, it, nothing slower than, you know, the cycles are 130. So it was, um, you know, and, and if they were a slower cycle, then that just means you have to kick faster. Mm. And sort of you'd average sort of the one, 115 to 120 pace for, what? say, 24 20, 1s. Where was that kick race at, mate? Stuff the race of the century from 2004. That sounds like a, an awesome race that would have been great to watch. Where was that at? It would have been a great race. I wish I had it. <laughs> mate, I reckon I would have gone all right because I bloody can't kick when I swim. But I don't think I can. Anyway, as soon as my legs go, as soon as my legs fatigue, I can't use my arms. I yeah. seem to store all my fuel in my legs. So, yeah, I could never... Mate, if I could transfer my kicking, freestyle kick with my swimming, it would have been certainly interesting to see how I went. What I think pool I was that in? The, was that down in Sydney? Where was it at? Oh, the, all those, oh it was just over the years. Oh, Man, okay, I, know yeah, my, yeah. I know my times for almost everything. It just yeah. seems to be stamped in my brain. <laughs> my repeat cycles with the, yeah. you know, the 31s, my 400 repeat cycles, everything, 200 short rest. Uh, I, yeah, you, you for some reason, you just never forget that stuff. You never forget any of your PBs, right mm. back to when you were like 12 years old. So, um, yeah, it's a bizarre one. It's, a, it's an, odd, an odd one to have. Mate, what's... <laughs> um, <coughs> pardon me. Talk to me about your 2012 London experience. Was, was it different to Beijing in terms of, obviously, we know the results. Again, you, you know, you weren't overly happy with, but was the, was the atmosphere, was, what was it like over there? Was it completely different? No, it was, it was the same again, the same buzz. Um, again, I, I thought I was swimming better leading into London than I was in Beijing. Yeah. Um, I was bigger. So leading into Beijing, I was 82 kilos, which is I probably hadn't been 82 kilos since I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I was pretty light for, yeah. for me. Um, and then leading into London, I was 86 kilos. I think it was my race weight. So I felt like I was a bit bigger and I can kind of throw my muscle around a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I just, I felt, I felt pretty good leaning into London. 
um, oh man, I'm not sure what happened in London. The yeah. buzz, the atmosphere was just so sick. And uh, I think we had like 250,000 people lining the shores of uh, Hyde Park, the Serpentine, you know, the centre of London. And uh, it was a sunny day, which it's never sunny in London. Yeah. I don't think there was a cloud in the sky. It made yeah. it was beautiful. Um, but the way that I swam was just so awful. It was, I guess, I guess you have them, you know, you have those moments. But again, you know, you look back, you can't, you can't feel like that. You got one race, you don't have a heat, you don't, you know, where you can, you know, prepare, feel it out and then mm. jump into the final and know where you're at. Um, you, you jump in and you kind of, that, that's it. And uh, you have to be on your game. And it's yeah. as simple as that. And, uh, you know, Usmalali won that one and there was a couple of guys that really just, you know, set the pace and um, they had the speed uh, and they had the, the back, you know, the, the sort of the platform there too to launch from that. And, um, yeah, it was – I didn't think I'd ever finish worse than 11th at Olympics and I did. But, uh, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Where'd that one go wrong? For anyone listening to maybe get some, you know, learning from, um, from you know, other people's experiences. You mentioned before, you know, with, with Beijing and, and what happened there. How did this one sort of fall out of, of your grasp? Well, I was sitting pretty good for the first 5K and um, I missed a feed. And I think that was, that was the turning point for me. Yeah. Um, normally... With the 10K races, I kind of feel like I dip a little bit at like 7K, 7.5K mark and I seem to get through it yeah. and then I, f I come good again. Um, but I'm, I missed the feed at, at the 5K mark and then when I dipped, I dipped real bad and um, I just I couldn't, no matter how I was trying, like I picked up a feed there, I picked up an extra feed and I was like, I just couldn't get myself out of that hole and I was just fighting. The last 5K, I just fought um, with every stroke. It just, I don't know, it just didn't feel, didn't feel me and uh, didn't feel right and uh, I don't know what it was. I don't think it was the pressure. I think it was just, just me. I just had a, an off day and, um, you know, certainly different to Beijing because I felt, you know, I swam Beijing so well. And um, I just went too too hard too early, and that was just that was just a silly simple mistake, and that's easy to do with open water. Um, but yeah, London was you know when I got into a hole, I couldn't get myself out of it, and I normally always come out of them. So um, it just it was like a snowball effect where it just yeah. got worse and worse and worse, and I just <laughs> I just got slower and slower and slower. I was like, oh, I'll see you guys. I'll see you. <laughs> Can't, can't do anything. It just gradually lost, started to lose the pack and fall off the pack. Couldn't sit on them. And, uh, yeah, anyway, it was kind of, that's how London worked out for me. Yeah. Could only imagine the feeling, you poor bastard, mm. of just knowing that everyone's sort of pulling away and tries you might, you know. The, the, yeah. Your body's but just not first, giving you what you the want. First person, the first person I spoke to after that race was Hacky. He interviewed me. And he yep. must have been... I think he was working for nine and um i think his first his first question was like uh so um firstly what happened <laughs> I, like, I, I think i laughed at the time yeah uh I, I laughed initially and then i cried for months after that oh yeah. mate i broke down after um yeah pretty pretty bad but um yeah i remember answering going i, I don't know what happened 
I, I couldn't answer his question. And uh, yeah, because I, I was quite puzzled, puzzled with, you know, how it all unfolded. But I mean, we have those races, you know, they happen. Of course they're going to happen. You know, you look at uh, look at all, all great swimmers and, you know, you always, you know, all athletes, it's, you know, we all have, you know, you all have your bad days. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, getting over that and moving on and, and going to the next thing and making sure you have those goals in place and, uh, and, and hard work. Mate, I certainly think you had a lot more good days than, than bad. And, and having a look through your career, as we've talked about before, and, and, and you, you know, pretty um, consistent in, in, in lots of different sports at all different levels. Was it ever hard and, or challenging sort of, you know, making sure you were still doing all of these things? Cause, and I ask this question because I know there are a lot of people out there that do surf life saying they do swimming, but at a certain point they sort of start to make a, a decision about where they want to go to. You obviously decided that you were going to keep going with, with all sorts of different things at the same time. How challenging was that though? Uh, I think, you know, after London, I went back into the surf scene and um, back under the Ironman circuit. And it certainly wasn't at the, the level that it used to be um, sort of growing up. And so it was a little bit different. It was, it was just a bit of fun. And then we had um, for a couple of years there an event called Deep Water um, 1 and 2. And the first one was in WA and it was all these series of racing uh, and it was just different. It was just a different dynamic and it was a small group. There was a five or six of us that were racing and different challenges and then deep water in the USA, in California, which was just insane, some of the stuff we did. And um, it was just really cool. And so that was kind of the season process. Um, and it was about that time when I had a phone call off a mate going, hi, are you interested? You know, obviously I, I sailed. I sailed growing up. My grandfather taught me how to sail. And he goes, oh, you, you know, you know the America's Cup. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, everyone knows the America's Cup. And yeah. he goes, oh, you know Oracle. And I'm like, yeah, of course, one of the biggest sporting teams in the world on the sailing front. And um, he's like, oh, um, love you to meet um, Tom Slingsby and Jimmy Spithill. You know, the guys are running kind of the show there you know, overseas. And yeah, one thing led to another. I got along really well with both the guys. Um, Slingers was was you know you know in my mind someone I looked up to as well as Olympic gold medalist and you know multiple world championships in the laser class and so yeah we just got along really well and then uh, months went past I had another phone call saying hey are you interested in coming over to Bermuda and you know hanging out with the guys and we just want to see how you go and I was like for sure I'll come over yeah. so I went over <laughs> for several weeks and um, you know it was obviously a trial period for me and uh, they put me through all these tests on the boat and, and on the pedestal and fitness. And, uh, and at the end of it, they sat me down and they gave me a contract and they said, we would love you here. Um, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. I kind of have a boss back home called the missus and yeah. she's kind of, you know, it, it's up to her. So I come home and, you know, have a chat and pack up the family and, and move to Bermuda indefinitely. For us, um, we didn't really know what the future held as far as that went and uh, sort of poured all my energy and, and our lives into, you know, a whole new team environment, um, gone from an individual athlete to a team environment. And I was just really lucky that, you know, all the guys were just, they were just great blokes. They had a great work ethic and their mentality 
towards sport and the sailing, you know, with, with, they were just so driven and mm. I, I love being around that energy. And um, yeah, those, those dynamics worked really well for us. Mate, I noted in my uh, research, especially I think it was in the first America's Cup that you, you were a grinder on the team. Now, listen, yeah. I don't want to speculate because, you know, all sorts of different mean terms and for grinder these days out there. So I thought I would, oh, I, would let, I, would let, <laughs> I would let you explain what that means. Uh, look, grinder, it's just a, a, a word for what we do. Was It's an upper body machine uh, producing energy at the end of the day. And so the way the cut worked with our boats is that we produced energy. We filled accumulators. Accumulators are big oil tanks. Yep. And basically, we charged the line with back pressure. Back pressure kept the pressure within the lines uh, of the boat that ran all the functionalities on board. So all the twist, the cant, all the movements in the wing, uh, all our daggerboard movements. So there are big foils that drop down and sit in the water. So that all takes oil pressure at the end of the day. You know, we've got buttons coming through our ears. Uh, every single sailor on board does, but that takes energy as well. Similar to the car, how you've got you know, fuel that runs the car and the battery yeah. that runs all the electronics or well, the accumulators filled the, and charged the lines, but we filled the accumulators which charged the lines. So yeah. the thing was you had to keep turning the pedestal, which, you know, is grinding at the end of the day. Um, so the pedestals produced the energy, filled the accumulators which charged the lines. Mm -hmm. We ran out of oil, we, you know, which was easy to do. Um, Basically, it's, it, it, it uh, caused a lot of damage, not only to the sailors on board, but to the boat as well. Um, you know, we had a lot of big accidents in Bermuda yeah. uh, leading into the America's Cup. And, you know, a lot of that's just pushing the boat to its limit. But when you push the boat to its limit, you're pushing the athletes to the limit as well. And yeah. that means harder grinding, um, you know, harder on the pedestals and, and trying to find ways to produce energy on the boat without running a motor. Um, mm. We were just the motors. Mate, you obviously still enjoy it. You're still a, amongst it today, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, no, we are. Uh, so it's called Sail GP. Uh, we had our first year last year, which we won, uh, the Australian team. So, I, you know, I sail and race for Australia now, which is epic. Um, you know, our skipper and boss and CEO of the team uh, is Tom Slingsby. And we all know slingers and just our crew and our dynamics on board. So basically our whole crew are from Oracle Team USA and um, we're all Aussies. And yeah. so we basically, you know, he's plucked us all from that, created this team, Australian Sail GP team. And um, mate, at the moment it's been working. So we had a fantastic first season, started our second season in Sydney. Uh, we had a bit of a shocker in, in, our, in our race, in our match race, um, with a penalty and then just getting off the line too slow with a lack of wind, mm. getting the boat up and ripping. And, um, but after that, it all got cancelled for the rest of the year, as everything has. Yeah. And so we're, we're um, basically, we're, we're supposed to race next April in a whole new season again. So, mm. you know, fingers crossed that <laughs> happens because... You know, these boats need to be on the water. Um, they're so quick. Uh, you know, we're almost doing 100 k's on the water and yeah. it's all wind-driven and, uh, and power-driven from us. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool experience, um, to be honest, but it, it looks pretty cool on TV. And, mm. you know, if you've got the opportunity to watch it on the water, um, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. So I'm really grateful to be a part of the sport. 
Mate, I love your explanation and I'm glad you did because I'm not going to pretend to have any knowledge about that sort of stuff at all. So I'm glad people listening uh, will get a much bigger insight into, into what you do there. Um, outside of it all, what, what do you get up to? How do you unwind? How do you, I know you've got two kids, so listen, I understand that, that unwind and relax really doesn't happen that much anymore, but how, how do you get you know, your mind away from everyday life and relax? Um, mate, I'm going camping this weekend. Nice. Um, but you know, not lucky. I'm just, I don't want to rub it in for people in Victoria. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to take, I'm, we're, I'm just lucky. I'm in Queensland. Um, taking the family away for a few days camping. Um, they've never been camping. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a, uh, you know, a Howling Moon, um, rooftop tent. So she's on top of the car. Um, so the kid, it's kind of glamping really. Yeah. Is it camping? I don't know. We're on the roof. Um, Whereabouts are you heading anyway? Uh, heading to Stratty. So we're going to go to Stratty. Um, so pretty close. It's not far from me. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my, the way I unwind. May I surf? I take car surfing. Um, you know, I'll go boating when we can. I'll take the family and, uh, they're the, they're the kind of things that for me to unwind. Um, you know, I got I got some things at the end of the year that I really want to do, uh, and and in the next couple of years, and uh, you know, I, I want to stay fit and active. Uh, I'd love to do a, a triathlon. I don't know why. I've, for the last twenty years, and a lot of my close mates are all triathletes, mm-hmm. um, and I've just I've never because I've just been so busy with other sports. Um, it, it's been really hard. Um, so I bought a bike, which is the first step mm-hmm. and I can ride it without training wheels, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd love to, you know, I'd love to do a triathlon. Um, and I've got some paddles, um, some big ocean races sort of towards the end of the year. Hopefully that'll happen. Some downwind races that are quite big, 15 to 27 K races. So, um, I've been paddling the ski a little bit as well. So um yeah that that's kind of how i unwind for the moment and uh you know it's uh just trying to live every day as it comes hey for anyone out there who's trying to get active and stuff like that obviously you keep yourself pretty fit but you've got two kids you've got a family you've got other things going on where do you find the time where, where do you find the best time is in the day for you to get some exercise in well at the moment i'm, I'm unemployed so it's it's kind of easy right <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, not by choice. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got, I got, I got time. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I do the full routine in the morning. If I try and get a session done before the kids wake up mm-hmm. in the morning, come home, race home, get them ready for school. Cause as you know, um, it's, it's like a cyclone in the first thing in the morning when the kids get up, trying mm-hmm. to just get them dressed and fed and teeth and, packed and lunches and, and whatnot um, and then just just trying to help the partner out with that and then take them to school and that that's one thing I haven't really done before is that you know I've been driving Kawa to school and picking him up and yeah you know that I get so much satisfaction out of that it's uh, it's really special so you know outside of that um, I kind of can fit in training here and there and, and bits and pieces so I'm, I'm kind of lucky for the moment um, but I'm going to have to find a job soon. <laughs> How do you go to with your daughter's hair? I've got to ask because my daughter, like if my missus is off to work and I've got to get Charlie ready for, for school, 
Yeah. I think I can't let her go with hair like that. Like she wakes up, it's like a bird's nest and she's got super curly hair. So it's so curly. Yeah. Uh, and we end up having just this fight together. Cause I'm like, well, your hair has to be done. We can't go to school like this. People are going to call like department of services or something and say, listen, she's being unkept. How do you go with your daughter's hair? Um, yeah. When she lets me brush it, I brush it. Yeah. Um, but the same thing, she's got curly hair. Yeah. And so, yeah, when she wakes up, it's just, it's just so nuts. And I, uh, I mean, I, I normally just roll with it. Sometimes yeah. I just let it go. Um, <laughs> she's not at school at the moment uh, yeah. or daycare. Um, so she's, she's at home. Um, uh, she's at a play group now um, at the moment. So otherwise this would have been really hard to do, <laughs> as, as you know, because yes, yes. you would have been going back and forth and I'd have to pick her up, I'd have to feed her, get some water, you know, yeah. girl with needs and wants. And so, yeah, got to meet that. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, she's, like I said earlier before, she's just, she's her own person and yeah. I'm kind of just letting her be her and, uh, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to guide the kids in the best way possible, keep them safe and, uh, and do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mate. We mentioned before as well, before we started that, yes, our job is to guide them and help them, but we kind of get the feeling, especially with the girls that, uh, even if we did decide that we think they should be going this way, if they wanted to go the other way, it was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm just, I'm not looking forward to when they're a bit older and, you know, uh, you know, other sexes or safe yeah. sex, whatever it is, you know, comes into the picture and, uh, you know, friends and yeah, it's, it's, it's life, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. You know, uh, have you, you watched Bad Boys 2? I have, yeah. So, you know, the scene where uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence go to the front yeah. door and, and they yeah. meet, uh, yeah. yeah. Reggie, that's, Reggie. That's us, is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I've got uh, I've got a brother who's a police officer, so uh, I've decided <laughs> that when Charlie is of a teenage age and yeah. she decides she's bringing anybody home, as you said, doesn't matter who, but yeah, yeah. We, we might have a bit of fun and games and uh, yeah, just, just make them make them aware that you know everything about them before they <laughs> yeah. walked in that door. <laughs> yeah, know How where they you? know where you live, mate. Yeah, that's right. Live. What are you, 15? You look 30. Um, but I like to always finish our chats just to get to know what you like at home in terms of what you listen to, what you watch, what you read, what you eat, all that sort of stuff that I think gives us a good insight to you. Um, so it's rapid fire though. So whatever your first thought is, just throw it back out there. So what sort of music do you listen to? Uh, like Jack Johnson, uh, Ben Harper. Yeah. Yep. Very nice, very cruisy. What about favourite movies to watch? What have you been getting amongst? Especially, you've had a bit of time on your hands lately. Oh, my favourite all-time movie is The Shawshank Redemption. That's my all-time movie. Um, yeah, no, I haven't been watching many movies lately. Yeah. I'd love to go to the cinemas. That would be amazing. Everything's yeah. at home now. Yeah, um, and then shows. Mate, I've been into Ninja Warrior lately. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, it's just started that. back up, isn't it? Have you ever yeah. thought of getting on there? I mean, you're pretty fit. No way. Come on, I mate. I can't do a chin. Mate, I, I get to like four or five chin-ups. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm done. Those, those guys do hundreds. Let them be ninja warriors. Yeah. No, I'll stick to the water. They are incredible. I purposely don't watch it because I don't want to feel bad about my own life and just look at these guys <laughs> and what they're able to achieve. Uh, what about favourite meals, mate? What do you love to eat? Um, my favourite meal? Oh, a bolognese or a lasagna. Our homemade lasagna with those layers of vegetables and 
uh, and meat. Uh, that's probably my favorite meal at the moment. I mean, that always has been, I think. Yeah, I do love it. I loved when I went to Italy, there was just pasta and lasagnas and pizzas and just so, things everywhere. Yeah. I was in heaven. Uh, what about speaking of Italy, favorite countries you visited? Um, oh, favorite, my, my favorite country is Australia. Yeah. Well, I just think every time, you know, I've traveled the world and I've seen yeah. everywhere and, and I, there's some beautiful places and gosh, I've raced and sailed in some beautiful locations yeah. but uh i keep coming keep coming back to our home mm. and um we're just so lucky you know, to have the beaches that we do and you know the mountains that we do and i know that you're from western sydney and you're so close to the blue mountains and uh you know i think we're just really blessed to have so many options and 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 how uh, the variety here in australia and once they ease restrictions on borders you know i'm no doubt you know australians are going to start utilizing and tapping into what we have here i'm not I'm, there's no doubt in it absolutely mate i couldn't agree more finally what about favorite quotes are you a guy who loves his quotes have you got any that sort of resonate with you yeah um i have had a quote since i've been 12 years old and i still live by it today uh, limitation is a creation of your mind and uh that is uh has been one quote that i've lived by and i, I feel like you know, you're only limited to what where you think you can go. You know, you got to be realistic. I get that, but you know, I'm always about goals. You know, short term and long term goals. And you know, there's a process. Um, you got to know what that process is, and it generally entails hard work. And yeah. um, and it's just sticking with it. And you know, everything's achievable. You just got to put your mind and your body on the line, and uh, you know, and, and get those done and uh and especially now is such a testing time too because you know a lot of us you know a lot locked in our homes and we can't get out or we've got a 5k restriction um so if that's the case i i don't know can you run to your 5k mark and back again there's your 10k run do it twice a k twice a day or yeah. you know, do loops on the bike or you know get out and do some burpees and you know find a tree to do chin-ups you know there's ways around it mm. um you know if you're stuck at home you, know, you can do exercises at home off the bed you know squats lunges dips there's, there's you know things you can do push-ups yeah. body everything's body weight you know most of my life i've just done body weights i haven't been big in the gym so um and, and it seemed to have worked i thought you're gonna go with the old nutri-grain you only get out what you put in Put in. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I used to love Nutri-Grain back in the day, mate, when, when you guys are on the boxes and stuff like that. I used to love, I'd eat it even without um, milk. You just put a bowl of Nutri-Grain, I'd just eat it as if it was a snack. Yeah, my kids eat it without milk. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> mate, finally, um, what, what sort of legacy would you like to leave in, in all sports? So, you know, when I mention, you know, your name to, to people and, certainly you know swimmers coming up or people that have remembered your career how would you like them to remember you oh i don't know i guess just as a never really thought about it uh i guess just as a waterman I mean, i'm pretty diverse in the water but respectful and humble uh you know i like to think that i'm always got time for people um and so you know i i grew up with nothing and so many people dedicated their time for me Mm. um you know and, and it's sort of time for me to kind of give back um to sport and, and people in general and uh yeah I'm, you know communication is such a big key and we're seeing that with mental health and uh you know it, it's a big one and we've got to learn to communicate and talk about things and 
and I just want to be that guy that, you know, you can come up and just have a yarn to and I'm always happy to chat um, no matter where we are and what we're doing. Absolutely, mate. No, no, absolutely. Well, I've got that vibe from our chat. This is the first time I've, I've ever met you, mate. But I do feel I instantly felt very comfortable in you know in our conversation. So, uh, I definitely think that comes across. Uh, I think it's a great chance to wrap it up, mate. I want to thank you very much. I know you're busy for the move. Uh, you got the kids, so thank you very much for coming on. Uh, what a yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, what a career you've had. And I'm not going to lie, I was pretty blown away. I mentioned in my research what you were able to achieve throughout your career. And as I said, I think I always knew you were a champion in my own eyes and what I saw you do. But uh, I didn't realize to the magnitude of what you'd contributed to, to not just our sport, but, you know, surf lifesaving and, and obviously sailing now as well. And I think you've definitely inspired a lot of others to, to chase their dreams, which is, is phenomenal, mate. So it's been a pleasure to have you on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers, mate. No worries. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Don't forget to head over and check out our YouTube page to catch all the fantastic interviews you may have missed from Season 3 so far. Go there, like, and subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest news from the podcast. Keep your podcast fixed right here this week as we still have heaps more stars coming your way and you will not want to miss a minute of the action. Until tomorrow though, guys, have a great day. Remember to smile and laugh, please. And it's bye for now. I just want to-